Welcome, everyone. Good to see you. Hey, can we welcome everyone in at all of our campuses to say, hey, welcome. We get to do this together. That's a good thing. Um, hey, uh, we wrapped up the series called Take the Dare last week, but we want, we're really hoping and praying that that language and those concepts stick with us all year, that we'll be the kind of people that are D-A-R-E all year long. Like we're doing something that matters. We're asking God, what do you want me to give? We're we're just uh, reaching out and praying for one, and we're encountering God in a fresh way. So we're leaving that series, but we're not leaving the ideas. Let's jump in on this new deal. Anybody got any stress? Yeah. Raise your hand if you've never worried about anything, ever been anxious for a single moment. I'm not even looking because I don't need to look. Because if you've never experienced any anxiety, you're either very unusual, or you're lying, or you're an alien of some kind, right? Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking to the humans involved here who know what it feels like to feel anxious. We've called this series Anxious for Nothing. Anxious for Nothing. One time Jesus was with his friends out in a boat and out of nowhere, this huge storm whooped up and the wind started blowing that poor boat around and the waves and the water coming over the gunwales and, and they're all absolutely scared out of their minds and more than a little bit anxious. And so they grab Jesus and they shake him and say, don't you even care what's happening for us right now? You know, what are you going to do about this? And Jesus did something bizarre. First of all, he stood up in the boat. I've always been told you're not supposed to do that. But if you're Jesus, you can do what you want. So he stands up in the boat and he speaks words to the wind and the waves. He talks to the storm. And you maybe know the story. The storm is transformed and it calms immediately. And you know what? Jesus still does that. Jesus still does that sort of thing. He calms storms. He doesn't always calm every part of the storm and the wind that's beaten on us, around us, but he can calm the storm inside of you where the anxiety is. He can and he does This message in this series is for anyone who knows what it's like to have some storms of anxiety sometimes. It's for people who are ready to ask Jesus if he cares and if he can help. It's for anyone who's kind of feeling heavy in your spirit. Maybe you've got some fears. Maybe it's about your health or someone you love. Aging parents or kids are making horrible decisions. Or something out of your control tricky financial situation. We're all anxious probably for something. In different seasons of our life, we find ourselves sometimes like over the top, right? Like anxious. And other times it's like a little bit of lightness to our step. But we all know this. I don't, I don't know what words Jesus spoke exactly to the storm. I mean, the Bible says something about be quiet or shut up or whatever he said. I don't know. But I do know that he still speaks today through his word. And we're going to look at that word and let him speak to us. And we're going to hover and hang around a particular passage over the next four weeks. We're going to do that on purpose because it speaks so powerfully to this issue that's on all of our minds so that we can soak with it. So it can resonate in our spirits sink in a little bit. You know, when you, when you hang out in the same place for a while, it gets to be part of you. So we're just going to let it settle in our spirits. I'm going to challenge some of you to memorize either all of it or part of it, okay? To get it into our, our heads so that it's not just the, you know, in the Bible, it's 
in you, you know, and that's going to be one of the great coping mechanisms we're going to talk about. So you can call on in the middle of your own storms and have Jesus speak to you when you're anxious. So we can grow through this time together over the next few weeks so we have tools and ideas and resources so Jesus can transform your storm. The passage we're going to be hovering in is Philippians 4. We're going to look at a lot of different Bible stuff, obviously, but the the chapter we're looking at is Philippians 4. We're going to read it together today, right now, and every week together. And maybe some of you will memorize part of it, like I said, and this will give us some some ability to, to calm ourselves. Out of respect for God and His Word, can I ask those who are able to stand, and let's read it off the screen together. This is Philippians chapter 4, just five verses Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Six verses. Don't, don't be anxious. It's okay. We got it. Let's read these words together. Are you ready? Here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. All God's people said... Amen. I'm going to ask you to please be seated and my friend Siri to come out here and to stand right beside me. Where's Siri? Give it up for my friend Siri. Here she comes. All right. Now, we said that some people were going to be challenged to memorize this, so I got a hold of Siri on Wednesday. Did you memorize a couple of verses? Yes. Yes. Is that, is that thing on? It ain't on here. What's the matter with this thing? I don't know. All right. You're going to speak up real loud now, Okay. All right, you're going to speak up real loud, and you're going to pick me up in here. Here we go, here we go. It's good. They got it. First of all, what's your name again? Sayuri. What's your last name? Machado Rodriguez. Oh, she's one of the Machados. Which campus are you going to? Aberdeen. Okay, Aberdeen. All right. How old are you? Nine. Sixteen? No, nine. Nine. What passage did you memorize? Um, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Okay, how how long did it take you? About seven minutes. Okay. All right, this is just to shame all of us, okay, and challenge you for next week. We're still doing the dare. Are you ready? When you're ready, go for it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Thank you. All right. Lord, help us. Um, Help us. I'm praying now. We can pray. Everyone pray. (laughs) Lord, help us, but let's pray. God, we do ask for your help. We need help um, so that the words of your word become true for us. 
that we could stop being anxious about so many things, that we could feel your presence and your peace. Even if we're slammed with so much stuff, it wouldn't even make sense for, to feel peace. We pray that we still would. And prepare us to lay down something we brought in here today in exchange for it, for that peace. Through Christ we ask, amen. So would it be all right if I was real with you for a minute? One thing I love about Mountain is you let me be a human, a person. Um, some churches, they kind of expect their pastor to have a halo and glow in the dark and, and uh, bounce out. You know, I have superpowers, but that's another, that's another thing. Let me be honest with you, if it's okay to do so, and tell you that I know what it feels like to have anxiety. Um, sometimes I feel stress piling up, and for me, it piles on my chest. That's where I feel it. You know where you feel it, right? Where you first feel it physically. Anxiety always manifests itself somehow physically, it seems like. For me, it's my chest. Or sometimes it feels like I'm I used to be a lifeguard, and I used to do these drills where they had people like in the pool dragging, pulling, pulling on your feet from down below, or they put weights on your ankle. I, it feels like that sometimes to me, like trying to keep your head above water. My mind races, my heart races, and my chest tightens, and I feel this knot. It's like a knot. And if you, um, if you come at me when I'm in that state, I might just back you off. Uh, I, I get, I'm already at the end of my rope, a little defensive maybe, and I can't, I don't want one more thing, whatever you're bringing, so I defend myself. Just ask my wife. Sometimes it's because I have been running too hard for too long, or I've got too much on my plate, or I've overcommitted. I thrive on working hard and being ambitious. I love that, but sometimes it slips over the line, and then that thrill of achievement and accomplishment slips into a threat of anxiety. Last week, uh, a dear friend of mine died. And even before he passed, I found myself worried and thinking about it all the time, driving by his house and worrying about him and his family and losing him and my friendship with him and sadness can pile on and feel like an extra weight on that chest. But you can't just sit and stop and be sad. You have to keep moving, right? Life motors on. So that's what I've done. Next week, um, Carla and I lead a national pastor's conference for leaders of large churches and their spouses. And we love doing it, but it's a huge responsibility. So there'll be 120 of these um, high-capacity leaders from influential movements and churches and organizations coming together. Um, These are all high-powered, impressive people, and we've got responsibility for the entire thing, start to finish. We love it, but I'll be honest, it's a lot. And I've got a speaking engagement when I get back at a university, and they want me to talk about politics. Of all things. You talk about stressful. And so, as a result, getting ready to get out of town, I'm trying to do the work I would be doing those weeks now. Doubling up. And that's usually when you're stressed and running hard that things start to happen, right? You never know what I'm talking about? That's when all the dumb... That's the furnace wouldn't come on. Uh, my daughter's 500 miles away with a flat tire. The office is a mess. On my day off, I drove down to Virginia Beach to speak with some other pastors, which I loved doing, but there was prep for that, and it took time, and the eight hours took it out of me more than I thought, and I draw, lost my driver's license. It's like, oh, that's convenient to fly and rent a car and all that this next week. And then my schedule managed to be jammed. I don't know who did that, who scheduled it all, but it's probably my assistant's fault. Every night I was out, meetings to prepare for during the week, all of it adding up in my spirit. 
I'm driving to this meeting um, one night this last week, and it was a simple little mix-up where I had the wrong address in my phone, but it meant I was going to be late. And when I figured it out and put in the new address and I realized where it was, and I, I slammed my hands on the steering wheel like three times and yelled at the top of my lungs, You've got to be kidding me! And then, as if I'm observing some nut job in my car, I look at myself and I'm like, What was that? Where'd that come from, I wonder? A little anxiety. I tell you all that, not so you'll be disappointed in me, because some of you are plenty disappointed in me already. But to say, yeah, I get it. Um, I know what it's like to lay awake at night and turn over scenarios in your, in your head and have unsolvable problems and hard conversations you've got to have the next day and big decisions that aren't going to be popular. And I handle stress really well, for the most part. Maybe you do too. But I want you to hear about the tightness in my chest so you know that this is not a message series that's coming out of a, a place of great strength for me. Because I have all the answers and I'm, you know, the pastor to zoom in here, put my halo aside and talk to you for a little bit and help you out. I, 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 in fact, I know uh, as some of you were hearing me talk about my puny problems, you're sitting there rolling your eyes going, let me tell you about some real problems, brother. I get it. I know that. I don't really have any real problems. I get it. I just want to say, let's keep it real and admit that this anxiety thing is widespread and it's horrible and it's hard and it's human. And it's you and it's me. And yet Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. (laughs) It's like, okay, Paul, you're so awesome. Go away. (laughs) Nothing? Like, never? Seriously? With mass shootings and coronavirus and the way the Orioles look this spring? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Nothing. Anxious for nothing. All the studies about Gen Z say, Gen Z, the young people today are great. They're an awesome generation. Except, you know what else? They're the most stressed out generation in history. Yeah. Should I go to college? What about student loans? Should I get married? What if, what if the person I married is a wacko? Will I get a decent paying job? You know, will I be able to afford a house? Can I pay the bills? My car is going in the shop. What's going on? All my friends are doing better than I can. All better than I am. I can see it on TikTok. It's not just kids. It's adults. It's all of us. It's, it's, it's everybody. It's on the increase. There's a new public religion research institute that says that Americans are, for the first time in history, split. 49% and 49%. I don't know what happened to the others, but on whether America's best days are ahead or behind. We're split. We're gloomy about the economy. Americans are anxious about Islam, bothered by immigrants, mistrustful across racial lines, angered by politics, frustrated with media, and fearful about violence and shootings. We didn't even need to study to tell us that because we feel it and we know it. Guess what? Anxiety is now the number one issue for women in America. And it's number two for men because number one is drugs and alcohol because men can admit they're anxious. They just mask it by hiding behind their drugs and alcohol. Dilly dilly. All right, so now, Christian author Max Lucado has a book on this, and we actually used his title for this series. It's called Anxious for Nothing, and he has a phrase where he says, sometimes anxiety is like a meteor shower of what-ifs. Do you experience uh, anxiety like that ever? Like a meteor shower, an asteroid (laughs) convention 
of what ifs, what if, what if, what if. What if our kids grow up with crooked teeth? What if they can't get a job because of that? What if my kid is standing out on the side of the road with a sign that says my parents wouldn't buy me braces? What if they're on a, a TV show about that? What if they hate me for it and never let me see the grandkids? What if, what if, what if? It's a meteor shower. Anyone ever experienced that? The thing about anxiety is it doesn't always have to make sense. It's not always rational. You explain it to someone and they can quickly say, well, that's dumb because blah, 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 and you just want to smack them because it's real to you, but that's just the way anxiety works. I mean, look at me. I'm blessed. Hashtag blessed. That's me. Most blessed guy in the world. Amazing wife, incredible kids and extended family and treasured friends. I love this church. I love my job. I got the best job in the world. I get to work with people I love hanging out with. I get to see eternal life saved and all that. I, I, I wouldn't trade my life for anyone's. And yet, sometimes I feel hashtag stressed. Jesus was also hashtag blessed, and they killed him, by the way. So, there you go. So, what's the answer? That's what we want to talk about over the next four weeks. I want to say right out the gate that these are complex issues. I'm not a mental health expert. And sometimes lots of different solutions are needed for a holistic kind of approach. I know some people that have had a lot of anxiety, and it was actually a dietician that helped them out more than anything. I know someone who went to a counselor, and it was a huge help. I know someone that had their body out of chemical imbalance. It was chemically imbalanced. I take Synthroid every day because my thyroid's goofed up just like someone might take insulin. I know some people that would take other chemical rebalancing drugs that help them tremendously with anxiety. I don't know what it is that you're going to need, but I know it's a holistic issue, it's a complex issue, it's big, and I know this, that anxiety is connected as a spiritual issue. And that's where we all have some authority to speak out of the Word of God, and so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. Because if you overlook the spiritual, you'll find yourself patching up a flat tire with a Band-Aid, hoping that it never comes back. Our key text is in what book? Philippians. You can open that on your little phone or whatever you got with you, your Bible. And we're going to hear the Lord giving us words that can transform the storm of anxiety. Let's look at a couple of key verses this weekend. And this is where we're going to camp right now. Verses 4 and 5. Let's put it on the screen again. Here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul, good grief. He said, whatever. All right. Always, when you're, when you're trying to change a flat tire on the side of the road, and it's 12 below, you don't have any gloves, you're late for work, it's night. Whatever, Paul. Here we go. Rejoice in the Lord, always. I'll say it again. Oh, he must mean it. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? The Lord is... Let's say it again. The Lord is near. Let's give a little context because it really helps us understand the power of this passage. It is one of, what I'm told, the most highlighted passage in the Bible for all time. (laughs) One of the reasons is because of the context. Paul is the writer. He's the apostle. And you need to know where he is. He's in Rome. Oh, great. That's a bucket list place. I'd love to go to Rome. Well, Paul went to Rome to preach, but you know what? He's not preaching. He's in prison. So it's not so cool. My friend John Chris is in prison right now. I have visited him a few times, and I have written him several times, and I've learned that he has shackles on his wrists and his ankles 24 hours a day. 
And they let him into this little room once in a while to exercise, and he has figured out how to shuffle so he can just get the foot out as, just as far as it can go without kind of tripping him up. So he knows exactly how far to walk on everyone. He's got these big scars around his ankles and his wrists now. But um, he'll have the guard tighten him up. And then he's figured out in this room 40 times around is a quarter mile. He's run two miles every time they let him in the little room. I think about Chris when I think about Paul in prison. I don't think it was quite as good as what my friend Chris has, actually. Not ideal conditions. He's chained to a guard 24 hours a day. He has no idea about his future. He could die. The legal system was horrible. He could be, you know, what's, he didn't know. And he writes a letter to these other friends that he wants to encourage because he's worried about their situation. And in his own situation, he somehow has this like, I don't know, a peace that I guess you could say transcends understanding. It doesn't make sense. He has this ability to be content in any circumstance somehow. One time he's in prison in Philippi there and he starts singing at midnight because why not? That's this guy who's writing this. Why? Why can he say bizarre things like rejoice always and sing in prison? Here's the clue and the key to why and how you can find joy even in the prison of anxiety. Rejoice in the Lord always. Say it again. The Lord is near. Wherever you are, the Lord is near. And that's why he can say, be anxious for nothing. Because the Lord is near. Where the Spirit of Lord, the Lord is, there is peace. There is joy. And you can rejoice in the Lord always. Now notice something about the grammar here. When it says, be anxious for nothing, that is a, it is, is a present active tense. It's not actually saying, don't ever be anxious. Anxious is a sort of natural reaction. You know, if a, if a, if a cat is set on your lap, you can be anxious. Like, do something about that. Okay, but you don't have to remain anxious. The present active means it's a sort of decision about how you're going to choose to continue to be. Don't live in a perpetual state of anxiety. It doesn't make sense for someone who knows the Lord is here. That's what he's saying. He's not saying don't ever feel anxious. You can't really control whether you feel anxiety. But what you can do is get, you can sort of make a habit of it, of being anxious. Or you can say, I'm not going to live there. Max Lucado says, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. See the difference? Paul's writing from a real prison, and yet he's free from anxiety. And some of us are not in real prison, but we live in a prison locked up day and night under house arrest, and we never get out of there. We're just locked up perpetually in a prison of anxiety. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be unlocking those doors that hold us in anxiety. I'll give you a, a quick little tip of where we're headed, okay? And, uh, and, and, of course, because it's just what we do around here is four weeks, and it's four letters, and it's an acrostic. Are you happy about that? Of course you are. We're going to spell the word calm, and here it is. C stands for celebrate. We're talking about rejoicing, and we'll see how that is possible because the Lord is near, and He is control. He's in control. A stands for ask. We're going to talk about prayer next week. In the middle, you make a request to God known, and it changes everything when God does what he can do. And L stands for list it. It's beautiful when you list the things you're thankful for, and it reorients your thinking in massive ways. And M is mind your mind, like because you got to, the, the worry you feel in your chest starts in your head, so you got to meditate and get the right stuff in your brain space. We've got all kinds of resources for you. Uh, you received on the way in a beautiful card which has all kinds of ideas about groups, books, and, and, and things that you can uh, use as resources for anxiety. On the back, a breath prayer that I hope you will keep and utilize 
this week and every time you feel anxiety rising. It's a beautiful concept. It explains how to do it and what it is. It's very simple. Anyone can do it. Today, rejoice. We're going to celebrate. Rejoice in the Lord always because He is near. Rejoice in the Lord, it says. Now, the Lord is near. It emphasizes that name. And and the writer could have chosen any word for God, but he chose Lord. And you know why? Because Lord is the one that means master. The one who's in control. Isn't that where our anxiety comes from? We can't control something. And it freaks us out. And so it reminds us the Lord is in control. And that's how you can have joy in the middle of horrible circumstances. Some of you are like, you know what, I'm not anxious all the time, and so I'm just going to wait till my circumstances kind of get better, and then I'll be happy again. And it's a really bad plan, because it just means you're a slave. You're back in prison to anxiety. Whatever your circumstances are like, that's how happy you are. So don't wait for better times. That day never comes. But the Bible never says wait for your circumstances to change. And then you can have peace. What does it say? It says no matter what's going on in your life, you can rejoice. You can actually have joy because the Lord is near. He is with you and you're never alone. Let me show you something in the Old Testament. It was a a prophet by the name of Habakkuk, which sounds a little bit like hiccup, but it's not. It's different. Habakkuk, he's going through a horrible time and the circumstances in his life and all of the people are horrific I mean, and it's one of those times when people are saying things like, really, God? Like, I'm not sure I believe in you anymore. If this is what's happening in my life, what gives? Maybe you felt like that, and that was part of your anxiety is a crisis of faith enters the picture because things are so bad. It's exactly what's going on. And he was tempted, like we all might be in that moment, to say the same. And yet, here's what he says in a prayer to God. I wonder if you could pray this prayer. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. He says, God, even though things are bad, even though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, he's talking about I got nothing to sell. My livelihood has gone belly up. He's not talking about I don't have any wine in my cup. He's saying I got no food in my kids' mouths. Even though that's true. And you know what else? Even though the olive crops are failing and the fields produce no food, Like, it's a really horrible year. Even though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, when everything is gone and everything has left me and I've got nothing and things couldn't get any worse and I feel that tightness in my chest, verse 18 says this, yet, what's the word? Yet, what's the word? Yet, you've got to have a yet kind of faith. Even though this, 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 yet I will still... In spite of this and in the face of this, I will what? Rejoice in the Lord. There it is. Paul must have borrowed it. Rejoice in the Lord. Same words. And then look at these S words. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. And He makes me sure-footed like a deer when I feel like I'm going to fall and freak out. I got nothing going. Things are not going my way. But you know what? The Lord is near and He's my Savior still. He can still save me. And He's my Sovereign. He's still in control. And he is my strength when I need it, no matter what's going on. That's why Nehemiah can say, these two are connected. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You don't just get strong so you can have joy. The joy is your strength. Do you see what I'm saying? You have that joy. You cling to it. 
Let me give you some help from another Old Testament prophet. His name was Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. Elijah made some mistakes that are mistakes I think all of us can make that add to our anxiety. And so we're going to learn from his mistakes and then sum up from something that God did for him. He's a prophet of God who lived at a time when there was a horrible, evil king named Ahab. And Elijah confronted Ahab straight up to his face. And so Ahab starts coming after Elijah. And Elijah spends like three years on the run, like running for his life. And God in that time comes through for Elijah in amazing ways. He protects Elijah. He helps Elijah. And he makes this amazing story of Elijah's life. And God even does miracles. He provides for him. He gets like food. He provides for him when there was none. And all this amazing stuff goes on. And then there's this other time where God uses Elijah in that period to do an amazing miracle. If you remember, there were 850 false prophets who came up against God and they met up on a mountain and they put water on it and, and Elijah still just so confident that God was near he said bring fire down and fire came down and they won the battle it was an amazing victory and yet after all of that he crumbles like that with anxiety what, what, what was it what was it what was it it was a woman Jezebel Ahab's wife a Jezebel, I'm sure you didn't name your kid Jezebel, and there's a reason, because if you looked it up, she's awful, she's an evil, she makes her husband Ahab look like Billy Graham. She's horrible, evil woman, and she says, excuse me, Ahab, it's time for a woman to get the job done, and she says, I'm going after Elijah, and Elijah, this strong, bold prophet, falls apart, I can't take it anymore, sometimes you get to that place. You're strong one minute, and then all of a sudden you snap. Look what happened here. Verse 3 of 1 Kings 19. Elijah was afraid. He was up on the mountain. He wasn't afraid of 850 prophets who wanted to kill him. He wasn't afraid of the king, but he's afraid of this woman who said mean words to him. So what does he do? He ran. He ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush and he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. You ever get there? I've had enough. Take my life. Kill me now. I am no better than my ancestors. And they're dead, so take me. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep, kind of probably hoping he wouldn't wake up. Elijah made four mistakes. Pay attention to them. Here they are real quick. Number one, he ran himself into the ground. He'd been doing so much, and then he ran to Beersheba. Did you realize when you read that, that's 100 miles? So he ran. He's already depleted. He's on empty, and he runs 100 miles, like an ultra marathon. And then he runs out in the wilderness some more. And that's what happens to me and to you when we let our bucket get empty and depleted and drained. We run too hard. We do too much, and that's a recipe for anxiety. Second mistake he makes is he pulls back from his network of support. Remember that? He left his servant. He left everyone who knew and loved. He says, no, I got this by myself. I, I'm going to do this. He shut everyone out who could help him. You know, we do that sometimes, don't we? I don't need you. I don't want to talk about it because then I have to deal with it. So I just, you know, this is why we have rooted groups at Mountain. It's why we have life groups at Mountain. It's why we have all these things, opportunities, so we're not doing what he did. Number three, he focused on the negative. Isn't this how we get? He yells at God, I'm just as good as dead. Kill me now. Focus on the negative. My life's so hard. There's no way I can get everything done. I'm always going to be poor. This is the way it's going to be. I'm always going to struggle. I'm always going to suffer. I'm always going to have this frustration. I'm never going to be happy. I'll never get what I want. No one understands. Blah, blah, blah. 
Jezebel, 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 negative, negative, negative. We focus on it. And number four, we forget God. He forgot God. This is, this is the biggie. It's crazy after God was so powerful and present in his life, and yet he got stressed and he went to this place and forgot God. And his anxiety skyrocketed. And we do the same thing. Craig Rochelle says, Elijah was facing his problems while he was forgetting his God. I have the equation. It goes like this. Facing your problems plus forgetting God is a recipe for anxiety. How are you doing on that? How are you doing on that? Here's the crazy ironic thing. You know what Elijah's name means? His name literally means God is my very breath. God is so close to me. The Lord is near. His name means the Lord is near. Elijah, E-L, short for Elohim, God. E is my and Yah is, is short for that word that they would not even pronounce out loud, Yahweh, the name of God. And they would just pronounce it, Yah, 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 like a breath. Yah, Eliyah, Eliyah. He's saying, God is my very breath. That's what his name means. God is close. He's so close. He's, he's my very breath. He's my source of life. He's my strength. He's inside of me, my sustainer, my, my, my source. He is always with me. He's giving me life. His name alone should have reminded him how to get through his anxiety, but he forgot God, and so he fell apart. And the same thing will happen to you, same thing will happen to me. You forget God, you're going to fall apart. And here's what I love. You know what God does with Elijah? Does he say, shame on you, Elijah, after everything we've been through, everything I've done for you. Calm yourself down, and when you get your act together, we'll talk. Is that what God says? No, God, God does not say that. To Elijah or to anyone else. He knows he's hurting and he's had the very breath of God knocked out of him. So he reveals himself to Elijah. He visits him in a tender way. Sometimes we just need God to come to us, don't we? When we forget God, he'll come to you. And he says, go out and stand on this mountain, Elijah, and you're going to go in the presence of the Lord. You're going to have a fresh encounter with the living God. And that's when a huge wind tore through the mountain and shattered the rocks. It was scary and large, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then after the wind, there was an earthquake, and it shattered and moved everything, shook everything up, but God was not in that massive display of earthquake. And then there was a fire that raged and burned and was hot and wild, but the Lord was not in the fire. The earth shook. The wind blew and the fire raged. Earth, wind, and fire. Just a nod for you old-timers. God was not in any of those large, loud events. You know how God came to him, the Bible says? In a still, small voice that was a whisper. A gentle breath. The Lord is my breath. The Spirit of God is sometimes quiet. And whispers when we're all worked up because the Lord is near. When you're anxious, when you're stressed and worried, you've got all these loud noises in your head, right? Stirred up like a storm and you're overwhelmed. Remember this, God's going to come by and when he does, sometimes he'll just whisper. Why does God whisper? I think it's like a mama 
who holds a little one close and you the little one who's crying or maybe maybe a couple that's gone through some trouble and they finally come back together or maybe like senior citizens when they see their loved one of 40, you know, 50 years die or maybe when a single person has their heart crushed, whenever it is that a kid skins their knee, they come in and somebody needs to hold you and just say, shh, whisper. Something that's true that you need to hear in the moment of your anxiety. Why does God whisper? He whispers because he's close. The Lord is near. He whispers so we'll listen and lean in to draw us close. When someone speaks like this, you kind of have to find yourself getting closer, don't you? And so the Lord whispers. The devil, on the other hand, he shouts his lies. You're not good enough. You'll never make it. This is not your day. This is not going to happen. Condemnation, accusation. Right in your face. You can't do it. You never will. You'll always be on your own. You're going to fail. The voice comes. And then through it all, all that earthquake and storm and fire, you hear the Lord whisper. Whatever he said to that lake, he says to you in a whisper. I will never leave or forsake you. I'm for you. I'm good. I'm working in all things. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Neither height nor depth or angels or demons or nothing can separate you. I'm right here. You and I have got this. The Lord, I'm the Lord. I'm in control and I'm near. I'm sovereign. I'm strong. Why does the Lord whisper to you? Because the Lord is near and he wants to draw you close. You want to know something funny? The end of this story is hilarious to me. What's Elijah so afraid of? What's his main anxiety? I'm going to die. I'm going to die. So he goes and he gets with God. What does he say? Kill me. So you see, anxiety is not rational. But here's something else that's even funnier. Elijah never actually dies. He's one of the very few people in all of history and all of the Bible that actually doesn't physically die. It's just hilarious. He's walking along with Elisha, one of his protégés one day, and a chariot a fire comes down and picks him up and takes him off to be with the Lord. Swing low, sweet chariot. That's where it comes from. Coming for to carry me home. And he went home. And he shows up at the transfiguration of Jesus. And he's there, but he never died. In other words, the thing that he was most worried about, what? Never happened. Psychologists tell us this is true for almost everyone. Most everything we worry about never happens. About half of what we worry about does, but it's not as bad as we thought. And those things that do happen, sometimes they're horrible and awful and worse than we thought, but the Lord gets us through, and you can even rejoice. Why? Because the Lord is here. He's your strength. He will never leave or forsake you, and He is your God. He is sovereign, He is strong, and He will help your feet stay steady when you feel like you're slipping into the prison of anxiety. Listen to me. It can be hard to hear stuff if you're in a storm today. I get that. But you just listen and the whisper will be there. And one of the ways you, you do that is you start the conversation. That's why this breath prayer card is here. You just start whispering back and just put the Lord... Put the Lord on notice that you want to be near. And when the Lord is near, your anxiety is lifted. Father God, we come to you, some of us crying and dying on the inside. 
messed up with anxiety and things that are out of our control. Like a kid with a broken heart, we just need you, God, to give us your breath and let us hear you say, shh. So whisper your truth to us. Help us to lean into you, to know you're strong and close. And we want to lay down some burdens right now, right here. Friends, if you're listening now as we continue in an attitude of prayer and you're at one of our campuses or online, there's something weighing you down. There's a burden or an anxiousness in your spirit and you want to lay it down. You want to leave it here. You know who you are and you can do that right now. And you do offer that now, God, as we pray for your peace and your presence to find your joy in all circumstances. And for anyone who has not yet laid down the biggest burden of all, the burden of our sin, who has not said, Jesus, I need you to forgive me, I pray that you would lead us to that prayer now as well, to trust Christ. Give us your joy, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.